The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 2, The Constitution, Book 6, The Marseillaise, Chapter 1, Executive That Does Not Act. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 6, Chapter 1, Executive That Does Not Act. How could your paralytic national executive be put in action, in any measure, by such a 20th of June as this? Quite contrary-wise, a large sympathy for majesty so insulted arises everywhere, expresses itself in addresses, petitions, petition of the 20,000 inhabitants of Paris and such like, among all constitutional persons, a decided rallying round the throne of which rallying it was thought King Louis might have made something. However, he does make nothing of it, or attempt to make, for indeed his views are lifted beyond domestic sympathy and rallying, over to Coblenz mainly. Neither in itself is the same sympathy worth much. It is sympathy of men who believe still that the Constitution can march, Wherefore the old discord and ferment of Feuillant's sympathy for royalty and Jacobin's sympathy for fatherland, acting against each other from within, with terror of Coblentz and Brunswick acting from without, this discord and ferment must hold on its course till a catastrophe do ripen and come. One would think, especially as Brunswick is near marching, such catastrophe cannot now be distant. Busy, ye twenty-five French millions, ye foreign potentates, military emigrants, German drill sergeants, each do what his hand findeth. Thou, O reader, at such safe distance, will see what they make of it among them. Consider, therefore, this pitiable twentieth of June as a futility, no catastrophe, rather a catastasis or heightening. Do not its black breeches wave there in the historical imagination like a melancholy flag of distress, soliciting help which no mortal can give? Soliciting pity which thou wert hard-hearted not to give freely to one and all? Other such flags, or what are called occurrences, and black or bright symbolic phenomena, will flit through the historical imagination. These, one after one, let us note with extreme brevity. The first phenomenon is that of Lafayette at the bar of the Assembly, after a week and day. Promptly, on hearing of this scandalous 20th of June, Lafayette has quitted his command on the northern frontier, in better or worse order, and got hither on the 28th to repress the Jacobins, not by letter now, but by oral petition and weight of character, face to face. The august assembly finds the step questionable, invites him meanwhile to the honours of the sitting, other honour or advantage, there unhappily came almost none, the galleries all growling, fiery enard glooming, sharp guadet not wanting in sarcasms. And out of doors, when the sitting is over, Sieur Rasson, keeper of the Patriot Café in these regions, hears in the street a hurly-burly, steps forth to look, he and his Patriot customers. It is Lafayette's carriage, with a tumultuous escort of blue grenadiers, cannoneers, even officers of the line, hurrahing and capering around it. 
They make a pause opposite Sieur Rasson's door, wag their plumes at him, nay, shake their fists, bellowing, A bas les Jacobins! but happily pass on without onslaught. They pass on to plant a may before the general's door and bully considerably, all which the Sieur Rasson cannot but report with sorrow that night in the mother society. But what no Sieur Rasson nor mother society can do more than guess is this, that a council of rank feuillant, your unabolished staff of the guard, and who else has status and weight, is in these very moments privily deliberating at the generals. Can we not put down the Jacobins by force? Next day a review shall be held in the Tuileries garden of such as will turn out and try. Alas, says Toulongion, hardly a hundred turned out. Put it off till tomorrow, then, to give better warning. On the morrow, which is Saturday, they turn out some thirty, and depart, shrugging their shoulders. Lafayette promptly takes carriage again, returns musing on many things. The dust of Paris is hardly off his wheels, the summer Sunday is still young, when Cordelia's in deputation pluck up that May of his. Before sunset, patriots have burnt him in effigy. Louder doubt and louder rises in section, in national assembly, as to the legality of such unbidden anti-Jacobin visit on the part of a general. Doubt swelling and spreading all over France for six weeks or so, with endless talk about usurping soldiers, about English monk, nay, about Cromwell. Oh, thou poor Grandison Cromwell, what boots it? King Louis himself looked coldly on the enterprise. Colossal hero of two worlds, having weighed himself in the balance, finds that he has become a gossamer colossus, only some thirty turning out. In a like sense, and with a like issue, works our department directory here at Paris, who, on the 6th of July, take upon them to suspend Mayor Petion and procure Manuel from all civic functions, for their conduct replete, as is alleged, with omissions and commissions on that delicate 20th of June. Virtuous Petion sees himself a kind of martyr, or pseudo-martyr, threatened with several things, draws out due heroical lamentation, to which patriot Paris and patriot legislative duly respond. King Louis and Mayor Pétion have already had an interview on that business of the 20th, an interview and dialogue distinguished by frankness on both sides, ending on King Louis's side with the words, Taisez-vous, hold your peace. For the rest, this of suspending our mayor does seem a mistimed measure. By ill chance, it came out precisely on the day of that famous Baisse de la Morette, or miraculous reconciliatory Delilah kiss which we spoke of long ago, which Delilah kiss was thereby quite hindered of effect. For now His Majesty has to write almost that same night, asking a reconciled assembly for advice. The reconciled assembly will not advise, will not interfere. The king confirms the suspension. Then, perhaps, but not till then, will the assembly interfere, the noise of patriot Paris getting loud. Whereby your Delilah kiss, such was the destiny of Parliament first, becomes a Philistine battle. 
nay, there goes a word, that as many as thirty of our chief patriot senators are to be clapped in prison by mittimus an indictment of feuillant justices, juges de paix, who here in Paris were well capable of such a thing. It was but in May last that juge de paix la Riviere, on complaint of Bertrand Morville, touching that Austrian committee, made bold to launch his mittimus against three heads of the mountain, deputies Bézier, Chabot, Merlin, the Cordelier trio, summoning them to appear before him and show where that Austrian committee was or else suffer the consequences. Which mittimus, the trio, on their side, made bold to fling in the fire, and valiantly pleaded privilege of Parliament. So that, for his zeal without knowledge, poor Justice La Riviere now sits in the prison of Orléans, waiting trial from the haute cour there. Whose example may it not deter other rash justices? And so this word of the thirty arrestments continue a word merely? But on the whole, though Lafayette weighed so light and had had his may plucked up, official feuillantism falters not a whit, but carries its head high, strong in the letter of the law. Feuillant all of these men, a feuillant directory, founding on high character and such like, with Duc de la Rochefort for president, a thing which may prove dangerous for him. Dim now as the once bright Anglomania of these admired noblemen. Duke de Liancourt offers out of Normandy, where he is Lord Lieutenant, not only to receive his majesty, thinking of flight thither, but to lend him money, to enormous amounts. Sire, it is not a revolt, it is a revolution, and truly no rosewater one. Worthier noblemen were not in France nor in Europe than those two, but the time is crooked, quick-shifting, perverse. What straightest course will lead to any goal in it? Another phasis which we note in these early July days is that of certain thin streaks of federate national volunteers wending from various points towards Paris to hold a new federation festival or feast of pikes on the 14th there. So has the National Assembly wished it, so has the nation willed it. In this way, perhaps, may we still have our patriot camp in spite of veto? For cannot these... Federes, having celebrated their feast of pikes, march on to Soissons, and, there being drilled and regiment, rush to the frontiers, or whither we like. Thus were the one veto cunningly eluded. As indeed the other veto about priests is also like to be eluded, and without much cunning. For provincial assemblies in Calvados, as one instance, are proceeding on their own strength to judge and banish anti-national priests. Or still worse, without provincial assembly, a desperate people as at Bordeaux can hang two of them on the lantern on the way towards judgment. Pity for the spoken veto when it cannot become an acted one. It is true, some ghost of a war minister or Home Minister, for the time being, ghost whom we do not name, does write to municipalities and king's commanders that they shall, by all conceivable methods, obstruct this federation and even turn back the federes by force of arms, a message which scatters mere doubt, paralysis and confusion, irritates the poor legislature, reduces the federes, as we see, to thin streaks. But being questioned, this 
ghost and the other ghosts, what is it then that they propose to do for saving the country? They answer that they cannot tell, that indeed they, for their part, have this morning resigned in a body and do now merely respectfully take leave of the helm altogether. With which words they rapidly walk out of the hall, sautant brusquement de la salle, the galleries cheering loudly, the poor legislature sitting for a good while in silence. Thus do cabinet ministers themselves, in extreme cases, strike work, one of the strangest omens. Other complete cabinet ministry there will not be, only fragments, and these changeful, which never get completed, spectral apparitions that cannot so much as appear. King Louis writes that he now views this federation feast with approval, and will himself have the pleasure to take part in the same. And so these thin streaks of federes wend Parisward through a paralytic France. Thin, grim streaks, not thick, joyful ranks as of old to the first feast of pikes. No, these poor federates march now towards Austria and Austrian committee, towards jeopardy and forlorn hope, men of hard fortune and temper, not rich in the world's goods. Municipalities paralysed by war ministers are shy of affording cash. It may be your poor federates cannot arm themselves, cannot march till the daughter society of the place open her pocket and subscribe. There will not have arrived at the set day three thousand of them in all. And yet, thin and feeble as these streaks of federates seem, they are the only thing one discerns moving with any clearness of aim in this strange scene. Angry buzz and simmer, uneasy tossing and moaning of a huge France, all enchanted, spellbound by unmarching constitution into frightful conscious and unconscious magnetic sleep, which frightful magnetic sleep must now issue soon in one of two things, death or madness. The Federes carry mostly in their pockets some earnest cry and petition to have the national executive put in action, or as a step towards that, to have the king's déchéance, king's forfeiture, or at least his suspension, pronounced. They shall be welcome to the legislative, to the mother of patriotism, and Paris will provide for their lodging. Déchéance indeed, and what next? A France spell-free a revolution saved, and anything, and all things next, so answer grimly Danton and the unlimited patriots, deep down in their subterranean region of plot, whither they have now dived. Déchéance, answered Brissot with the limited, and if next the little Prince Royal were crowned, and some regency of Girondins in a recalled patriot ministry set over him, Alas, poor Brissot, looking as indeed poor man does always on the nearest morrow as his peaceable promised land, deciding what must reach to the world's end, yet with an insight that reaches not beyond his own nose. Wiser are the unlimited subterranean patriots who, with light for the hour itself, leave the rest to the gods. Or were it not, as we now stand, the probablest issue of all, that Brunswick, in Coblenz, just gathering his huge limbs towards him to rise, might arrive first and stop both déchéance and theorising on it. Brunswick is on the eve of marching, with 80,000, they say, 
fell Prussians, Hessians, fell emigrants, a general of the great Frederick with such an army, and our armies, and our generals? As for Lafayette, on whose late visit the committee is sitting and all France is jarring and censuring, he seems readier to fight us than fight Brunswick. Luckner and Lafayette pretend to be interchanging corps and are making movements which patriotism cannot understand. This only is very clear, that their corps go marching and shuttling in the interior of the country much nearer Paris than formerly. Luckner has ordered Dumouriez down to him, down from Mould and the fortified camp there. Which order the many counselled Dumouriez, with the Austrians hanging close on him, he busy meanwhile training a few thousands to stand fire and be soldiers, declares that come of it what will he cannot obey. Will a poor legislative therefore sanction Dumouriez, who applies to it, not knowing whether there is any war ministry? Or sanction Luckner and these Lafayette movements? The poor legislative knows not what to do. It decrees, however, that the staff of the Paris Guard, and indeed all such staffs, for they are fouillant mostly, shall be broken and replaced. It decrees earnestly in what manner one can declare that the country is in danger. And finally, on the 11th of July, the morrow of that day when the ministry struck work, it decrees that the country be, with all dispatch, declared in danger. Whereupon let the king sanction, let the municipality take measures. If such declaration will do service, it need not fail. In danger, truly, if ever country was. Arise, O country, or be trodden down to ignominious ruin. Nay, are not the chances a hundred to one that no rising of the country will save it, Brunswick, the emigrants, and feudal Europe drawing nigh? End of Book 6, Chapter 1